Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. Grab Wilson, welcome. Glad to have you with us today. And what a day we have lined up for you. You're right on time because we are starting a brand new series from Warren Litzman called Jesus and Paul. It's going to be great, and we're so happy you're here with us to get started. Let's start right away. Let's bring on Warren. Jesus of Nazareth is known as greatly unknown is the Jesus Paul preached. The sad fact is, it is the same Jesus. But the message that Jesus of Nazareth brings us is a message that fits a category. While on the other hand, the message that Paul brings us is a message that fits another category. The reason we have been denied the true gospel of grace in our lifetime is because these two categories have been meshed together. We don't know the difference between the two, and the end result is the believer doesn't know who he is. On one hand, Christians try to live like Jesus lived and have a miserable failure because God never intended that Christians live like Jesus of Nazareth. But you see, that's all we knew because that was the only category of the understanding of Jesus that we had. So the end result was that we became frustrated very often. Believers are frustrated in the Christian life they change churches, they change preachers, they change books they read, they, they get exasperated for a while, never go back to a church building, and they get mad at a preacher and say, I don't want to see another. And we have all kinds of things that happen in our life. And the reason is that these two categories that have to do with Christ are meshed together so that we've never found out who we were. So over in America, the average Christian started out as a Catholic. And that didn't sit well with him. He had somebody to, to talk to him about being saved or born again. And so uh, the biggest percentage of them became Baptist. Baptist, that's the biggest uh, Protestant group we have in the United States. So most of the Catholics became Baptist because the Baptists were real aggressive. And they stayed in the Baptist church a little while until so somebody in the family got sick. And, and uh, then... Uh, a loved one told them, well, here's a preacher over here believes in praying for the sick, and so they got acquainted with Pentecost or the Charismatic, and they moved to that, and they stayed in that until they got uh, disgusted or upset or kicked out or something. And then they were just open. We're hungry to know the Lord. And this is where our ministry came in, comes in. This is where we are. We're looking for those people who are hungry to know the Lord. And so the first thing we do in feeding people this hunger is get the food properly diagnosed because their problem is they've been eating bad food. And so the first thing you do is get the food separated so that they know what it is they ought to eat because that's where your health is. You're only a healthy Christian if you're eating the right food. So the first thing we try to do in the Christ life is get the food diagnosed and separated because only by that will you ever be healthy enough to say, I am a Christian and really love to be that. You won't have to say I'm Catholic or Baptist or Dutch Reformed or Pentecostal. You can just say I'm a Christian and have it settled without having to give it a 
destination that you go to. So what we try to do in the Christ life is keep the message out front, clear as we possibly can, so that you can be healthy and strong in the Lord. The testimonies we get in the Christ life are of people whose lives were miserable. They had business problems. They had family problems. They had health problems, and they got no help. They tried all these other ideas and systems that there are in religion to get help, but they were still lacking, and the thing that was lacking was not something outside of them. It was something in them. There was something in them lacking. If Paul could say, I rejoice in all my tribulations, that's something we don't know anything about because most of the systems around us are trying to get rid of tribulations. If you have enough faith, if you give enough money, if you come to church often enough, well, this is the systems that are all around us. But doing all that doesn't necessarily build anything inside because you're unhealthy. You've been eating the wrong food. You haven't been digesting something that would make you like Paul look at a devil or a sickness or a death or a tribulation and say, ha ha, rejoice in that. He that's in me is bigger than that. <laughs> you see, you don't come to that point until you get <laughs> the right food, the, the right understanding of who you are. So we are a message that brings that. We want to bring to people this kind of understanding of who you are and what it is you ought to feed on to make you who you are. Now, I've never told anybody to leave their systems, whatever they are, your church, whatever it is, your denomination, whatever it is. That isn't my business. But my business is to get you so healthy that you will be picky about the food you eat. Some of you already are in literal food, aren't you? I mean, there's some things you won't eat. And there's a lot of things you know you ought to eat to be healthy, to be strong. Well, that's what the Christ life is, is to bring the believer to that point to where he can be healthy and be proud that he is that. So we're a message. We're a message that is turned loose in these last days by the Lord. We are not the only messengers. We are not the best. We are not the elite. We are simply a message that God has given in our hearts that has gone worldwide in these last several years and has fed people everywhere. So the first thing we try to do is to categorize Jesus because that's what will help. You see, if you mix together too many ideas about Jesus, that's an unhealthy food. That isn't the real food. And that's what's happened to us in religion. We have, uh, I can uh, talk about the Baptists, that's what I was at one time. Uh, the Baptists say everybody ought to go all the way under the water. The Methodists come along and say, it don't matter, just dribble a little on them, and they'll be saved. Somebody else comes along and says, if you don't have our baptism, you can't make heaven. Another fellow says, if you don't join our church, you're not saved. On it goes. I could just keep listing things. What are all those doing? They're dividing Christ. See? Till you're going to end up and saying, well, I thought Jesus only immersed people. No, no, friend, he just sprinkles them. Little by little, a confusion comes, and you don't have a clear-cut Jesus. You don't even know where he is anymore. 
Because one fellow says over here, Jesus is really alive in this place. Everybody that comes to this place gets a miracle. Another fellow says over here, we don't have miracles, but if you're not in our church, you're not a Christian. So you see, our minds become sort of befuddled. What is a Christian? Who are we? Where do I go to find Jesus? Where is Christ? Who is the true Christ? When I got on this subject and decided that I needed to say something about it, it came to me that the best way to do that would be to talk about Jesus and the Apostle Paul. They are the two key people in God's plan who gives us a message, who gives us life. Well, it's very obvious. Paul doesn't give us life. That's not his calling. Jesus didn't give us a message. That wasn't his calling. So I need to get that straightened out. Jesus gives us life. No, not only that, Jesus is our life as a Christian. The Apostle Paul doesn't give us life. What he does to us is give us the message of that life. Jesus doesn't tell us exactly where he is. That wasn't his calling because his message was to a different group of people. We'll see that. But the Apostle Paul tells us distinctly where he is. That's good, you see. So you can't have the life without the message. And so our purpose here will be to talk about the life and the messenger of that life and pray that God will put in you truth and by the Holy Spirit teach you far beyond what I say. Well, life and truth. Two people, two individuals in the whole of God's Word are responsible for that. And we need to know them. We need to understand exactly what their position is in our life. Jesus and Paul. So when we talk about Jesus, we need to be clear about how we're talking about Jesus. How am I presenting him? Most Bibles say in the four Gospels, when you open them up and see the cover page of a, one of the Gospels, it'll say, the Gospel of Jesus Christ according to Matthew. The Gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark. Or Gospel of Jesus Christ according to Luke or John. The real facts are, Jesus didn't give us a Gospel. Now, he gave a Gospel but didn't give it to us. Wouldn't that be an important place to start? That he brought a gospel, but he brought a gospel that doesn't belong to you and I who sit in this room today. Well, right off, that takes a bit of depth of understanding. Why would I say that? Isn't the Bible for all people at all times and all places? Not at all. I preached many years and despised the word dispensation. I still don't like the word because so many fuss about it. But until you get God fixed in his time element and in his right place, you'll never understand what he's doing. 
You know why the church today preaches a confused Christ? It's because they don't know what God is doing. They haven't got God fixed in His time and place as to what He's really doing. And I'd be the least of all to come along after all of these glorious writers in the Scripture and try to tell you something about that. So I'm just going to kind of border around it and let you figure out what you want to on it. But the, the whole fact is Jesus didn't give us a gospel. Now, he gave a gospel all right. He gave a message, but it wasn't a message to us. It didn't belong to us. Well, that's kind of important to know, isn't it? Yet you study the four gospels unerringly. In fact, that's all we have studied. A statistic was made some time ago that the average theologian has spent no more time in Paul's epistles than they have in some of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. That stirred me because we have very little interest in some of the minor prophets in the Old Testament because they sure didn't have much of a message for we who live in grace. But the facts are, neither did all of the four Gospels, and we'll separate those a little later. What is so different then about Jesus and Paul? What is the big thing I really want to get across to you in this first session as an introductory remark? It's something like this. I don't see Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled in his mission. Born of a virgin, sent by God, God put his incorruptible seed in a 14-year-old girl and she gave a body to that seed, that person, Christ, a glorious, wonderful thing. He had come to bring light, hope, healing, salvation, deliverance to the world. But from the moment he began his ministry, it was in part unfulfilled. Unfulfilled life. I'm talking about Jesus of Nazareth now. First the scripture says he came to his own and his own received him not. We have three or four instances in the scriptures plainly written that he had trouble with his home family. None of them was in agreement with him, and James became the culprit of the New Testament, his half-brother. He rebukes his mother at the age of 12. His life was not what you'd call a psychological fit. Wherever he went, there was this sense of unfulfillment. Lots of joy, lots of deliverance, lots of, lots of blessing. But there was deep, I think, inside of him an unfulfillment. He chose his apostles. At least two of them was a constant burden on his mind, Judas and Peter. There just wasn't a whole lot he put his hand to. He was forced to say on Palm Sunday in John 12 that though he had performed all these great miracles, still they didn't believe. He came to his own. That's what his message was. That's what the four Gospels are about. John's Gospel being an exception. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
the gospel according to Jesus Christ. But that gospel is about his mission. He has come to restore Israel, and Israel doesn't want to be restored. He has come to be the Messiah. They made him a devil, his own people. Finally, when Jesus hung on the cross, he uttered the fateful words, It is finished. It is finished. And every time I think of those words, I wonder what all was finished. We know from all of our teaching that what was finished was the plan of salvation. The final sacrifice had been offered. There would be no more sacrifices offered by individuals for sin. They would depend upon the one death of Jesus Christ on the cross for their salvation. But there's a certain sadness at the cross, isn't there? Do you sense that when you look at Calvary? God, why hast thou forsaken me? It is finished. What is wrapped up in all of these? All of that to me is denoting, at least in part, an unfulfilled life. He just hasn't done what he was sent to the earth to do until he said it is finished. What was finished then was something God could do with the sacrifice. He didn't do it. He didn't work it all out. He didn't force it to work. That wasn't his mission. His real mission was to be that sacrifice. But his life was unfulfilled because he didn't work out all the things that were to be done. Now, whose fault was that? Was it the devil? Of course not. Was it Israel alone? Only partly. Who was behind all of that? It was God the Father. Why would I say that? Because you see, and what we're going to talk about greatly during this conference, is that God the Father had two missions for His Son. He had two missions. He had one mission that was to correct this earth. That was a mission that started with Adam's failure, Adam's sin, the curse that was put upon the earth. Jesus was here to correct all that. And everything written in this book for 4,300 years from Adam to the death of Jesus on that cross was about that correction. You're making notes. Put that down. We'll come back to that later. That's important. It was all about that correction. When Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote their Gospels, they wrote solely about that correction that needed to take place. Sin needed to be dealt with. Adam needed to be restored. The earth needed to be cleaned up. God chose a group of people after Abraham for 1,700 years worked through Israel whom he intended to be the power that would straighten out the earth. All of that didn't take place. That didn't happen. The life had come and the life was rejected. He had said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. They had rejected his life. What they really want. They really wanted the earth corrected, but they didn't want a new life. Can you understand that? They wanted the earth to be a better place to live. They wanted the Messiah here, but they didn't want the correction 
of their life. They wanted the world corrected, but not themselves. And God, at that time, really had no place for that for Israel. Not at that time. But he did have it in his mind because there was a second thing that was going on. And that was God had planned before Adam a whole other gospel, a whole other truth that was not correction, that would never be called law. It would be called grace. It was different. It was a whole different message. And so it wasn't Jesus' fault entirely what happened. He did what his father wanted him to do. And when he finally said, into your hands do I commit my spirit, he could say, I did exactly what the Father wanted me to do. It was not totally successful. I didn't work it out with Israel. I didn't bring the kingdom about. They didn't accept me as Messiah, but I did what the Father wanted. Why didn't the Father let him do that? Because, you see, there was another gospel. There was something else God was working on. There was another thing that needed to be done. Well, ironically, in this book, look at all the grand and glorious people had during those 4,300 years when God was trying to correct Adam and the sin that Adam brought. Multitudinous miracles. God showing his face, himself, his arm, his power to people. Multitudes of them saw it but didn't change anything. Raised up Israel, one miracle after another, but didn't change anything. So most of the great leaders he had in the Old Testament really didn't change the earth and bring about that ultimate correction, but most of them had it prophesied through them that it would take place. God was going to do it. God was going to straighten out this earth. He's going to make it right. And he was going to use Israel to do it. So look at all the wonderful people in the scriptures God had. Abraham, Moses, David, Isaiah. Just a limitless number that he could have chosen to use because it was obvious that his son did not work out what he had started to do and said at the time he was on this earth because Israel wouldn't accept him. But what about this other message? What about this message that says before the foundation of the world you are chosen to be in Christ? Ah, that has nothing to do with that 4,300 years of correction. That's different. So he sent the life, and the life was rejected. What he needed now was a messenger. God needed somebody that could put all that together properly. He needed somebody that wouldn't be a part of Israel's failure when they rejected their Messiah. So what he did, he went after another man altogether. 
He went after another voice. He went after another life because he needed somebody that would bring the final message. Somebody that would give a whole new resume, a whole new framework, a whole new understanding. Somebody that could take a message that could not be found anywhere in the 4,300 years of correction from Adam to Jesus on the cross. He had to have somebody now who understood all that but be willing to give a whole new message we call grace. That was Paul. Paul is a lot of things to God's plan. He's never life. He never gives life. He's never crucified. He never bears sin. He never is our sacrifice. He is never our Savior. But he's that intricate part of God's plan that makes the difference between law and grace. Failure of Israel presently to the triumph of the church now. He's that difference. He's the difference in the gospel. So when I talk to you about Jesus of Nazareth being unfulfilled, you'd probably be left hanging because you think, well, all those glorious things Jesus did, he healed the sick, he cast out devils, he fed the hungry, he walked on the water, that's all we ever hear, you know, that's in the gospel of correction. And we're always told if you want that Jesus to bless you, do something. Give something. Be something. But that's the gospel of correction. That's the gospel according to Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, but that's not the final gospel. That's not the final truth. But Jesus is God's key to everything. Jesus is God's center of everything. The psalm in Colossians says, All things were made by him and for him, and aside from him there's nothing existence. He's God's everything. But he's also our all in all. And he filleth us to be all in all. What is Paul's primary function then with Jesus? When the Apostle Paul was born again on the road to Damascus and later in the Arabian desert had Christ revealed in him, he received the incorruptible seed. Being born again, Peter says, not by the corruptible, but by the incorruptible seed, the person, the Word of God, Jesus. He had that seed in him. And for the first time, we had a message where Jesus was not contingent to prophecy. He wasn't contingent to Israel. He wasn't contingent to his three and a half years on this earth. For the first time, he became the actual life in a human being. In his three and a half years, he never gave that life to individuals. 
How were they saved? We'll talk about that later. But he never was what he was to be until the day of Pentecost. And sometime after Pentecost, I say several years after Pentecost, when God raised up Paul, was the first time we had a message for it. But on the day of Pentecost, Jesus became the utter fulfillment of who he was. Because that's the day he became life to human beings. What began on the day of Pentecost? 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, regardless of who we are. Body. Who is this body? Is that a body of water? Bottle of water? What is it? A body. It's a person. And when the Holy Spirit came, God's ultimate plan went into operation and there came into focus the life of Christ. Because now that life wasn't in outer things, healing, signs, wonders, walking on water, breaking loaves and fishes, glorious works, but nobody believed. They didn't accept him. The nation didn't at least. So look what happens. For the first time, Jesus has life in human beings outside of little Mary. He now has another body wherein he can live and move and have his being. What is the Apostle Paul then to Jesus? The Apostle Paul and his message of grace is the utter fulfillment of the life of Christ. It's finally Jesus alive the way he wants to be by God's gift. Upon what was that gift purchased? It was in the words, it is finished on the cross. The gift was purchased by the death of Jesus on the cross. And so when he said it is finished, gloriously finished, was that part of his life, not in the restoral of the correction ministry. That's good. That's set aside now. That'll be picked up in the tribulation period and the millennium. Israel will restore this earth and he'll sit on the throne as Messiah. He'll rule and reign and this earth will straighten out and anybody that doesn't straighten out will go to hell. Is that clear enough? But in the meantime, his life is manifested in another way. There is another body. Let's look at it in this way. Jesus operates in God's plan in two bodies. He operates first through the body of Mary. Mary was the body that produced Jesus. I've said it lots of times. What Mary did was manufacture a body for God the Son to live in. Hard as it is to say, that's what most ladies do. They manufacture bodies. He lived in that body. He operated in that body. He did grand and glorious things in that body. But if that's the only body of Christ you know anything about, you've been denied 
the true gospel. If what he said and did in that body is all you know, then you don't know the real Jesus. See, these are hard things to say because I breached the guff of hundreds of years of theology, but I can't help it if the theologians couldn't read. I can't help it if present-day preachers can't read. It's plainly written in the Scriptures if you don't get fouled up with the wrong pair of glasses. Glasses. You know what a lot of these buildings are we go to? They're glass manufacturers. They manufacture glasses. Because the minute you get in there, you have to buy a pair of their glasses to stay. And their glasses see everything different than the building on the other corner that has another pair of glasses. The trouble with some of you is you're nearsighted and farsighted because you've worn so many different kind of glasses. You see, this fellow over here has red glasses. The fellow over there has green glasses. And every time you put on red glasses and you read the Bible, everything in the Bible looks red because that's what you're taught. See? You understand that? This fellow over here has got green glasses, and everything you read in his Bible is green. And if you breach that and say, well, it looks kind of like what this red glasses fellow says over here. Oh, you're wrong. You can't be one of us if you don't agree with our green glasses. They're all reading the same book, but they see something different. Well, you say, are you selling glasses? I'm not selling them, but I'm telling you to get some somewhere that are plain. Not red, green, yellow, just plain glasses because I'd like you to read the Scriptures just like they're written. That's why I encourage everybody to get a, a King James Bible because that's where I read the plain written Scriptures. I don't mess around with everybody's translation uh, because they all got glasses on. I don't know what glasses they had on with King James, but uh, I'm stuck with it. It lasted longer, says it better, and I understand it. Now, everybody reads the Scriptures differently. I'm interested in life. If you'll note believers, they're divided into two classes. There's some that want the correction. There's some that want life. Now, what you found out is it's hard to have both. It's hard to have both if God is love because that makes God a parent and you a child and you don't want to be under the law all the time. You'd like to have his grace, his good wishes, his love. So it makes a big difference how we read the Scriptures. Now back to my thought. The Apostle Paul is the one who is used by God to fulfill Jesus Christ. He fulfills him. Everything Jesus Christ could ever want would be in the new body Paul talks to us about. Jesus, therefore, was not totally fulfilled in Mary's body, but he is totally fulfilled in Paul's body. What is Paul's body? The church. The church. That's where Jesus is fulfilled. That's where Jesus is vibrantly alive. 
because with Israel and the correction message, there was always somebody that didn't believe, somebody who couldn't put it together, somebody who didn't obey. Are you, did you know that? There wasn't anybody under correction that really worked out perfectly. Oh, I think Enoch did, and Elijah came close to it. But all the rest of them had a problem working it out. Adam didn't work it out. He sinned. Cain sinned. Noah sinned. Abraham sinned. I always like to stop. People wonder, where in the world Abraham sinned? He's so glorious. The biggest problem we got in our world now and the biggest growing problem in our world now is the sin of Abraham. Are you aware of that? Do you realize that Ishmael is going to be the biggest problem the closer we get to the end? It already is. I don't know what it is here, but it's a big problem in America, the Muslims. That's a huge problem in our world because we're devils to them. And there's no alliance that will ever be between Ishmael and Isaac. Abraham sinned. Moses sinned. David sinned. We could go on and on. What am I saying? God forgave them all. God helped them all. And I believe all of them will be a part of God's plan in eternity. But there was no grace afforded them because they didn't have the message. The message was correction and nobody could live the correction. And Jesus came along with the same message and even with him being here and him even forgiving sin. That's the most ironical thing about Jesus of Nazareth. That's the biggest violation he did in his ministry. He started forgiving people their sin because he was so burdened about people who had trouble. See, Moses and his law said that little lady ought to be stoned and Jesus' only purpose of being here was to perform Moses' law and fulfill it. Instead, he cast it aside for the moment and said, I forgive you, go and sin no more. The correction didn't work. So Jesus needed to be manifested in another body. The body would be called the body of Christ. No, we'll stop right here, but what a great series this is going to be from Warren Litzman. We've just heard part one of Jesus and Paul. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please visit our website, if you will. It's Christ-Life.org christ-life.org. And don't forget to be with us next time as we continue this great series. Our thanks to Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week to bring you these great sessions. And to Valerie Hill, who does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does our weekly podcast notes. And Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship is our producer each week. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson loving the Christ life.